when I was in the Presbyterian Church in Fort Worth working as an intern before I came here, I got to know Jack and his wife, Barb. Jack and Barb were members of the church there in Fort Worth and very active. On more than one occasion, Jack commented about the church there in Fort Worth that of all the churches that he had ever attended or belonged to, that that particular church in Fort Worth was one that had the most social outreach. There was a food pantry. There was a clothing closet, which was actually more like an entire building. There was a dental clinic and a free legal advice center. The church on a regular basis, at least once a year, built a house for Habitat for Humanity. And they started an after-school program in a low-income part in South Fort Worth, which I, one program I was very proud to work with during my time there. I will never forget that one thing that Jack said to me on one occasion. He said, in churches, there are usually two groups of people. He said there are usually the doers, and then there are the thinkers. There are people who will volunteer and do hands-on activity. No matter what you ask, they are there. And then there are the ones who will show up for any Bible study on any topic available. Doers and thinkers. Well, I remember when Jack told this to me, something in Jack's description bothered me. Maybe that's what happens when I hear people try to divide people up into two groups that are based on stereotypes, maybe. But maybe part of what bothered me about what Jack said, doers and thinkers, is that it does contain an element of truth. I know people who are great learners, but the thought of getting them to deliver meals on wheels or hammer a nail into a piece of wood just terrifies them. And I also know people who are great doers. You give them a task and they're right on it, but the thought of opening a Bible or joining a discussion about faith simply bores them to tears. But then I go back to my friend Jack you see, the problem was Jack didn't fit his own description. He was one who was there every time the food pantry was open, helping to put out groceries to those people in need in Fort Worth. But at the same time, Jack was also one who I could count on to attend the Bible studies that I led and the book studies that I led. You see, Jack was both a doer and a thinker. And when I think about you, who you are as a congregation, I see so many of you who are both active with your hands and active with your brains. That's what makes you such a dynamic and faithful group of people. It's what makes you so loving and so lovable. So I think that is what makes James such a good book for us to look at this month of September. 
James is concerned about both aspects, the doing and the thinking. James is concerned about living your faith. James wants you to do what you do for the right reasons. So first, let's look at the thinking part, or what we might call wisdom. Some scholars have suggested that James really isn't a story, and it really isn't a sermon. It's more of a collection of wisdom sayings, much like you find in the book of Proverbs. So when you are at home reading the book of James for yourself, or when you are listening to it on your smartphone, it's easy to pick up little nuggets of wisdom. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. So you can read James and get these little nuggets of wisdom, but it's not wisdom for wisdom's sake. James is heavy on action. So what you might think about when you read through James is something that he seems to be saying, it's one thing to sit around and have all these good ideas, but it's another thing that really makes a difference is when you take your good ideas and you make those ideas a reality. In other words, James seems to be saying, don't just talk the talk. You also got to walk the walk. Or you might have heard it said this way, a little nugget of wisdom. Action speak louder than words. So I think James is on to something that is helpful for us when we talk about the formation of Christian character because it is a combination of both wisdom and action. James wants us to be people of character, and he knows that character is shaped not by what we think, but character is shaped mostly by what you do. And when you read and study James, you might think of people in your life like I thought about my friend Jack back there in Fort Worth. But what I really think will happen is that when you look at James, it will help you to see Jesus in a new way. For remember, Jesus came preaching, teaching, and healing. He was a thinker and a doer. He proclaimed the good news of God's salvation, not only in what he said, but also in everything that he did. And that's what makes Jesus a person of character because what he thought and what he said and what he did, they all lined up. He was centered, he was grounded, 
and integrated. He was a person of character whose character reflected nothing less than the Spirit of God. To everyone he met, Jesus knew that they had experienced the divine. So read James through that lens. James wants us to be people who do, but also that we are people who do what we do for the right reason. And so in order for you to do what you do for the right reason, you need some sort of wisdom that grounds your actions, some, something that undergirds your actions in something that is faith-based. Because we all know that you can do the, the right thing for the wrong reason. You can do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. James wants us to do the right thing for the right reason. And so how James undergirds his actions is pretty simple. He grounds it in what the scripture from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So James seems to be saying that if you understand that as your overriding principle for everything that you do, love your neighbor as yourself, then what you do is going to be good and honored by God. There are other ways to think about particular wisdoms that might ground your actions. For example, when I first came here, I remember Wes Walker saying, well, I'm really kind of a golden rule kind of guy. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And so, not that Wes is perfect in everything that he does, but if that is his overriding principle that drives his life, then you can rest assured, Wes, that what you do will be honored and blessed by God because you're doing it from the right source. My faith and my life were mostly shaped as a young man when I read the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. So one of the questions that you might have for your homework this morning, what is your foundation for your action? What is it that drives you? Is it to be perfect? Is it to avoid shame? Is it to be right? Maybe God is calling you to some new principle so that you may love, so that you may show God's grace, so that you may show to others that mercy triumphs over judgment. So think about that this week. What scripture verse do you have posted on your computer at work? What scripture would you like engraved on your tombstone? What scripture would you like read at your funeral service that will encapsulate everything that you did? If you understand that about yourself, then you will act with integrity.
because you will be integrated into the word of God. In short, you will know who you are and whose you are. So on a Sunday morning when we commission Sunday school teachers and Wednesday night live teachers and helpers, and when we give out Bibles to third graders, it is appropriate for us to pause and reflect on what we hope to accomplish. When we spend this much time and energy and money kicking off another year of doing what we have done previously in years past, it's important for us to pause and ask the question, what do we hope that will really make a difference? And those of you who have been commissioned this morning, I ask that you try to answer that question for yourself. But I'd like to suggest that why we do what we do, I'd like to suggest that the wisdom that undergirds our actions is for no less of a reason than to change people's lives. By God's grace, we are impacting lives for the next generation. So when we tell the stories that Jesus told, when we sing the songs that make the fifth graders roll their eyes into the back of their heads, when we are up here late on Wednesday nights, when we are at home and we open up our Bibles with our children and read a verse or two, as scary as that is, all that we do, we are creating opportunities for God's word to shape character, impacting lives. Everything that we do, whether it is giving money to the church or serving in Emmaus Cafe or teaching a class or writing a prayer card, whatever you do, whatever your committee, whatever your group is doing, it should be having a clear sense that somehow your prayer is that God somehow use what we are doing to impact someone's life. That's what Christianity is about, impacting people's lives. The fancy word for that is transformation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. That is why Jesus came so that we might be new creations, free and at peace and alive. Transformation, or what you can just say, impacting lives. And that is exciting work because it is the union of wisdom and action. So that's why we do what we do. That's the wisdom behind our action. Because every time we impact someone's lives, it's a miracle. So when we say to the third grader or to the preschool, and we teach them the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, imagine Imagine the little miracle, the possibility of a child knowing that she has everything she needs. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Imagine the miracle of knowing that all you need to know about God is given in that prayer and that we are called to live a life of gratitude. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Imagine the miracle of reading the Bible in such a way that we all know of God's love for us and so that everyone will live a life of mercy over judgment. Who are you? I am a child of God. Imagine the miracle of knowing who you are and to whom you belong, so that we no longer have to define ourselves by our color or by our status or by our education or by our accomplishments or our bank accounts, so that we can really love our neighbor as ourselves. Was wisdom, when wisdom and action come together, it's a miracle. And I know that you with me believe in miracles because I've seen in my time here the way that you think about your faith and the way that you live out your faith. Thank you for that. And thanks be to God. Amen.